Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, Craig Somerville is continuing our series, Philippians Unstoppable Gospel. And if you have yet to get involved in a small group at Southview, we have an event called Group Link coming up on October 11th. And small groups is a key way to get connected in a church that is on the larger side. And this event helps you connect with others and try it out. You can register for this event on Realm or on our website. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates. And that'll make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support you and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant. Because God is here. And Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Sermon text, Philippians 1, 12 to 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Well, hello, church. It's good to be together. Thank you, Chester, for reading. God's word for us today. It's good to be together to worship in song, to sing of the goodness of God and his faithfulness, uh, to pray together, to come to his word, and then uh, we'll come to the high point of our gathering later, uh, the table, where we will participate together uh, at the table. And uh, it's good to be together. I want to start our teaching today with a question. And the question is, what causes you to rejoice? And I'm going to pull out my phone because I sent that same question to our staff earlier this week. And I said that I was going to open with this question and wanted a bit of feedback. So as you're thinking about in your life, what causes you to rejoice? Here are some of the things that cause our staff to rejoice. And I asked them not to be too spiritual. Just, you know, the things that just everyday ordinary life. So, of course, Brett said Jesus right off the bat, which, uh, you know. But here's some of the other ones that were were shared. A lot of time with family was uh, one that causes uh, joy and rejoicing. Uh, A flames win. 
came from one of our mystery staff members. Uh, Summer Sun was another one. Um, another one uh, that was good, uh, again, time with family and friends, but sitting on a dock with my toes in the water causes one of our staff to rejoice. And uh, another one is the wonder of how things were created to grow. So picking vegetables from the garden and uh, again, connecting with family, uh, kids, grandkids, uh, the sound of running water causes uh, rejoicing. Capturing a beautiful sunset or galaxy in an image, a good game of backgammon, and again, time with family, or a good book by the fire. Uh, there's lots of comments. I don't even have time to read them all. Winning at any game. One of our competitive staff members, I guess, enjoys winning. Uh, this one's a good one. When I'm at the beach with the family, and there's that three minutes where everyone is calm and happy. <laughs> Those three minutes cause rejoicing. And then uh, this one's one of my favorites, too. Everyone honoring the rule of you don't start eating dessert till grandma sits down and takes the first bite. Somebody's been teaching their family well. Hopefully they're you know, receiving uh, lots of joy from those moments. But what causes you to rejoice as you think about that question? And then how about when life is challenging? Is it even possible to rejoice maybe in the more challenging circumstances of life? Uh, we're going to continue in our series here in Philippians. Uh, we've got it broken into kind of three series. And the first one we're in is called The Unstoppable Gospel. And the passage that has just been read uh, really is uh, Paul sort of recounting some events in his life and how he's able to find joy, to rejoice in the midst of suffering. And so we're going to dive into this, this passage. And uh, I know we've already read it and prayed, but part of my sort of rhythm is I like to pray as well. And so as we come to God's word, let's just invite Jesus to speak to us from it. So Jesus, as we open your word, as we've already heard your word spoken here today, we invite you to speak by your Holy Spirit. So open our ears to hear. Open our hearts to receive your word today. Open our will and soften our will so that we would be responsive to your word to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just dive right in. And uh, we're going to look at the very first verse of the passage that was read, the first half of the verse. Paul is writing to the Philippians, uh, right? Paul's writing to the believers in Philippi, and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, dot, dot, dot. We're going to pause there. What has happened to me? I want to just remind us again of what has happened to the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the believers in Philippi. So later in the passage, three times, he talks about being in chains. In chains for Christ, in chains, in prison. This idea of being locked up. And Paul is actually in prison. The, this letter to the Philippians is one of the prison epistles. So while he was in prison, he was writing letters to the believers, to different churches. And so this is one of those letters. And so he's saying, what has happened to me? I'm in prison. I'm in jail. And the kind of prison that he's in, um, there's some debate about where he might have been. Uh, a few of us would believe that he was in Rome at the time of writing this. And in this passage, again, he talks about being under the, the palace guard, under their watch. And so that might be a clue that he's in Rome, uh, the center of the Roman Empire, sort of the capital there. And so Paul's in prison there, and he's probably in a kind of house arrest, where he's got a little bit of freedom, like he can write letters and he can send those letters out, but he's not allowed out of the house. The, the uh, palace guard is watching over him. So he's constantly got a guard with him. So when he talks about being in chains, 
We don't know if he was literally in chains or figuratively in chains, but one way or another, we know that uh, his freedoms have been sort of taken from him, and he is housebound or prison, you know, he's locked up in prison, one of those realities. And he's there because of uh, opposition to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. Paul was one of the, the dominant sort of uh, voices of the church in his day. And because of strong opposition to the gospel spreading and to the church growing and, and uh, the name of Jesus advancing, um, Paul had been uh, imprisoned because of what he was doing to try to propagate the, the gospel. And so it was opposition to the gospel that got him in prison. And so there he is in prison writing this letter to the Philippians. But it's interesting that here he is sort of locked up in chains. uh, And at the end of the passage that was just read, we find that Paul is rejoicing. How's he able to get there? Because it doesn't sound like he's in the kind of situation that would be one that would trigger a lot of joyful, you know, rejoicing kind of responses. So let's, uh, let's keep going. The second half of verse 12, that first uh, verse that was read in our passage. So he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, just a couple of reminders. When we talk about the word gospel, what are we talking about? So a couple of weeks ago when Sam introduced the, this letter to us, uh, he talked about the gospel meaning um, uh, glad tidings or good news, right? And specifically, when we're talking about the gospel in the context of the Bible, it's the good news or the glad tidings about Jesus, Last week, when Brett uh, talked about the gospel, he actually summed it up even more to say the gospel really is Jesus. The gospel is Christ. Christ is the gospel. And so when we talk about the gospel here in this passage, we're talking about the good news of Jesus. We're talking about Jesus himself. And when he talks about the gospel advancing, that word advance is likely referring to a numerical increase in the sharing of the gospel. So Paul is in prison, and he's saying, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The gospel is actually being proclaimed. The good news of Jesus is being shared and proclaimed more frequently now that I'm in jail, which is a really interesting point for Paul to make, because I would sort of wonder, like, how is this possible? Because Paul, being one of the dominant voices in the church, and, you know, he was traveling around on his missionary journeys. He was sharing the good news of Jesus with people who'd never heard before. Lives were being changed. Uh, Hearts were receiving Jesus. Um, Churches were being planted. Leaders were being raised up. And Paul was at the forefront of all kinds of that activity. So it's an interesting statement for him to make that what has happened to me, I'm here in jail has actually served to advance the, the gospel. It's, it's served to, to cause the gospel message to increase and to be shared more frequently now that I'm in jail. How is that possible? And again, just think of what's going on in Paul's life, maybe even as he's making that statement. Because Paul's life purpose from the day he met Jesus was to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those who'd never heard it before. And so his life purpose, his life goal, you would think would be somewhat restricted with him being in chains in prison. 
What's going on internally in Paul? Because everything in him would want to be out there, on the front lines, doing the work, leading the charge, planting the churches, preaching the good news of Jesus, seeing lives transformed and changed. And he would want to be right in the middle of all of that. But here he is in prison saying, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. How could the gospel advance if Paul wasn't on the front lines doing the work? So let's read on. What does he mean by this? In verse 13, he says, As a result, as a result of me being in prison, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And so the first uh, sort of sphere that we see the gospel advancing is right in prison itself. Whatever that prison situation looked like, uh, Paul sees the gospel advancing. He's under the, the watch of the palace guard, and likely what was happening is they would go on a, a four-hour rotation, right? Every four hours, a shift change would happen, a new guard would come in, and knowing Paul, and knowing how he was called to proclaim the good news of Jesus, he was probably telling every guard who came into his, his cell or his room or his house or wherever he was, he'd be telling each one of them about Jesus, Right? And we know this because even back in Acts chapter 16, when the church in Philippi started, Paul was actually imprisoned in Philippi for proclaiming the good news. And what did he do? He shared the good news with all the prisoners and all the guards there. That's what Paul did. So even while he's in prison here, we know that he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus to anybody who would listen. And likely, because he's in Rome and at the center sort of of the universe of the Roman Empire, and because these guards knew that he was there because of Christ and because of his mission of, of proclaiming the good news of Christ, these guards were probably talking to each other as well. Oh, did you hear what he told me? Yeah, did you hear what he told me? And they would be spreading the good news among themselves as well, maybe not in the best of motives, but the message was, was spreading throughout the palace guard and likely through the Roman Empire because of Paul's place there in prison at that time. But then if we read on, look at how else we see the gospel advancing in verse 14. He says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And basically what he's saying is the church is rising up because I'm limited, I'm in prison, but the believers, uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ, they're going out now and they're joining in the work and they're preaching, they're teaching, they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus even more so because there's more of them doing it than just me, just Paul. And so the gospel is, is advancing inside prison. The gospel is advancing outside prison. And if we were to read on, we don't have time to get into verses 15 to 17, but he talks about these mixed motives, how some are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry and out of spite almost for Paul. Like they're almost like, uh, I don't know if they were in the church or not, but there was this uh, sort of rivalry between them and Paul. And they're saying, well, since he's in jail, let's go out and, and preach and teach Jesus almost with these, you know, impure motives motives. And he says, even with false motives, the gospel is advancing. And he's like, as long as the gospel is being preached, I don't care. The gospel is advancing. And so look at how he responds in verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Christ is being preached the gospel is advancing. And even though Paul's limited in his own ability to participate in the spreading of the good news, he recognizes that it's 
It's happening. And it's important, again, for us to consider Paul's circumstances and his cause for joy. So here he says, because of this, I rejoice. And I want us to really look at why, what exactly is Paul rejoicing about? So listen to this quote from Gordon Fee from one of his commentaries on Philippians. He says, Paul began this paragraph by explaining that the net fallout of his imprisonment has been to advance the gospel. That and that alone is the cause of his joy. His joy is not over his imprisonment as such. That kind of morbid thanking God for all things lies outside Paul's own theological perspective. No, the pain is there. Paul's joy lies with his perspective. And so I think it's, it's worth noting that internally there probably was some, some mixed emotions that Paul was feeling, right? We know that Paul's calling was to go out and to preach and teach the good news, to be on the front lines of planting churches and raising up leaders and seeing the gospel advance. His calling was to be in the middle of it. And the fact that he's in prison would have been a painful experience for Paul. And so when he's saying he's rejoicing, he's not rejoicing because he's in jail, He's rejoicing because the gospel is advancing. And I think it's important to note that because we don't want to minimize the, the amount of suffering, the amount of pain, the hurt that Paul might have actually been experiencing was very real. But he was able to rejoice because there was a, a bigger picture going on. I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, Sam mentioned the movie Free Guy. And Guy was a, a, a character in a video game, but he didn't realize it until he put these special glasses on, right? And when he put the glasses on, he could see this whole other reality that was happening, that he was a part of a video game, and he was now a main character in it. And it's almost like Paul is putting on these gospel glasses. And while he's sitting in prison, maybe bemoaning the fact that he can't be out there doing the work that he felt called to do, he's able to put on these gospel glasses, and see a different perspective, and see the fact that God is still at work. Jesus is on the move. The gospel has not been limited. It's actually advancing. And he's able to recognize that what has happened to him, being put in jail, has attributed to the, the growth, the spread of the gospel. And this is reason to rejoice. So another question I was thinking as I'm going through this passage is, well, why exactly is Paul sharing this update with the church in Philippi, with the Philippian church? Why is he sharing this with them? And so just a couple thoughts about why he might have been sharing these uh, events of his life and sort of his perspective on them. And a first might be simply to encourage them in their sufferings. If we were to read down into verse 30 of chapter 1, he says, uh, You are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And Paul's saying to them, You know what I'm going through. I, knew what, I know what you're going through. We're going through the same struggle. The church in Philippi was under great uh, opposition and uh, resistance, and they were facing uh, pressure from the Roman Empire because Philippi was a Roman colony, right? And so the, the church in Philippi was sort of the minority there. When they would say that Jesus is Lord, that was not popular among the, their neighbors and their community members and their co-workers, and that would not be a popular statement, Caesar is Lord was what the Roman Empire believed. And so for the church to say Jesus is Lord, it was like putting a target on their back. 
And they knew that there could be consequences, that they themselves could be imprisoned. And so Paul's writing from his circumstances to say, I know you can relate to me, and I want to encourage you through my perspective. A second thing that he might be saying these words to the church would be uh, to encourage their growth and their progress in the gospel. As we read last week and heard last week that Paul was confident, verse 6, confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul was sort of cheering on the believers in Philippi, right? He's writing this letter to encourage them and to sort of cheer them on and to say, I know God's doing a good thing in your life, and I just want to help be a part of that and cheer you on in that. And even in their suffering and the opposition that they're facing, he's saying, I want to encourage you that there's still room to grow and to progress in the gospel, that God's not done with you. He has a work that he wants to complete in you, and so he wants to encourage them. And then a third thought might be that he was writing these words to the church in Philippi to help them see with the gospel glasses that he's able to see with, right? To help them put on these glasses that would give them a new perspective to say just because we're facing fear and opposition and struggle doesn't mean that God's not at work. And Paul's sharing from his own experience to say, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel and maybe what's happening to you might actually serve to advance the gospel. Put on your gospel glasses and look at what Jesus is doing. And so as we try to bring the word from the church to Philippi here to us in Calgary, how might this apply to us? And I want us to consider two questions sort of in response to this text. The first question would be this. What has happened to you? Paul reported what was happening to him. You know, what has happened to me? And he, we talked about how he was in prison and in chains. He was locked up. He wasn't able to fulfill his life calling And it kind of makes me wonder about what's happened to me, what's happened to you. What are the circumstances that you find yourself in? And maybe you can't relate necessarily to the kind of persecution that Paul was facing or the church in Philippi, but maybe you can relate to struggle. Maybe you can relate to opposition. Maybe you can relate to challenging circumstances, difficulties that you might face in all kinds of shapes and forms in our lives. So what has happened to you, or what is happening to you? And as you think about what's happening to you, or maybe what's happened to you in the past that still may be uh, difficult for you, the second question would be, how might your circumstances serve to advance the gospel? How might your circumstances serve to advance the gospel? Paul reported on what was happening to him. I'm in prison. I'm in chains for Christ. But what's happened to me has happened, it's actually served to advance the gospel, right? He was able to put on his gospel glasses and see what God was doing. And so as, in the same way, as Paul reported on the circumstances of his life, as you report, maybe even just to yourself, as you report on the circumstances of your life, how might those circumstances serve to advance the gospel? And a couple of ways of thinking about that might be, one, just internally in your life, your faith and progress in the gospel, the work that Jesus wants to do in you. Is there any possibility that the circumstances you're going through is a part of him wanting to shape you and form you and do a work in you? Paul was cheering the believers on in Philippi because he knew God wasn't done with them. There was a work that God was doing 
And there's a work that God's doing in each and every one of us. And sometimes the circumstances of our life give opportunity for Jesus to go deeper into places that maybe he hasn't been in our life before. How might the gospel uh, advance in your life? But then a second way of looking at that would be how might the gospel advance through your life, through the circumstances you're in? Maybe there's opportunities to connect with people that you've never connected with before. And there's an opportunity to live out your faith in front of them and for them to see the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Maybe there's even an opportunity to talk to them about your faith in Jesus, to share the good news, to be a part of the advancing of the gospel, the good news of Jesus in the lives of others. So how might your circumstances serve to advance the gospel in your life and through your life? Let me just close with a, a story uh, from a family in our church. They actually reached out to me this summer, and they were going through a difficult time. And this family, so this husband and wife, they've got two younger kids. Um, the wife, uh, her mom, was going through a difficult uh, journey health-wise, and it had been going on for a long time, and she was declining uh, quite rapidly. And, and she came to the point where she decided, this mom decided that she was going to have a, a medically-assisted death. And this is difficult news, and we're hearing more and more stories like this. And so this family reached out to us and said, do you have anything that you could offer to sort of help us process this? And then specifically, how do we talk to our kids about what's going on with their grandma? They know that she's sick. They know that she's struggling. They know that she's dying. But when you talk about a medically assisted death, like how do you communicate that with, with kids? And I just said, you know, thanks for calling, and I really have no idea. <laughs> I can pray for you. Honestly, that's about all I feel like I can offer. I said, I do know someone that I can reach out to and try to get some resources. So I did that, uh, sent them a few resources to read through. But really, at the end of it all, I just said, you know what? I'm praying for you guys in all of this. And they shared that the, this uh, event was going to take place in a couple of weeks, and they'd been traveling back and forth. So this mom, this grandma, uh, lived out of town, and they'd been making trips back and forth from Calgary. Uh, as a family, they'd been spending lots of time together. Anyways, the day eventually came, and they went out a few days ahead of time, and they spent some time with, with grandma, with mom, and, uh, and, and then after it took place, after she passed, they began the drive home. And I was messaging them back and forth through this, this couple weeks and, and just said, you know, on the day of, I'm praying for you guys, just praying that God would be with you and he'd guide you and, and all of this. And other people were praying for them. They got uh, on the way home, so they reported this story back to me like a week or so later. They saw me in church and said, we've got to tell you uh, something that happened out of all of this. And I said, okay. I thought you guys would be a little more upset, like they actually had a, almost a sense of excitement. And, and I said, what's going on? So they said, well, on the way home, our youngest, in the best way that he could, communicated uh, about heaven. Go to heaven, go to heaven. And they started this conversation about heaven. And so they eventually pulled the car over and had a conversation with their, their youngest child, and they, they led him to Jesus on the drive home. He received Christ that day. And so they came to church the next weekend, and there was a part of them that they were, they were able to rejoice in the fact that the gospel was advancing in their family, even in the midst of a very difficult, painful, emotional time. And again, like Paul, not to minimize the hurt and the pain and the grief that this family is going through, 
but they were able to put on gospel glasses and see the fact that God was still working. He was doing something through the pain of, of those circumstances. I don't know what's going on in your life, but my hunch is Jesus wants to be involved. And he's not done with you. He's got a plan and a work that he wants to do in you and through you. And again, not to minimize the difficulty that you might be going through. But if we put on our gospel glasses, we might be able to see a glimpse of what he's up to. And I think that's really the essence of this passage, is that Paul would want us to know that regardless of the circumstances of our lives, the gospel will always advance. This series we're in is the unstoppable gospel. Jesus is not going to be held back. He's always moving forward in our lives, through our lives, whatever's going on in our lives, he's always present and he's always at work. And that's the invitation is to, to look to him and to see what he might be up to and invite him into those circumstances and allow him to move and change and do what he wants to do. So let me just pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that you are unstoppable. The good news about you is unstoppable. You are a force to be reckoned with. You are the name above all names, the power over every power and principality, and you are always, always at work. And so, Jesus, we invite you in the reality of our lives, whatever it is that we're going through, we invite you to continue your work. Help us to have eyes to see what you're up to. Help us to have ears to hear what you might be speaking to us about. Help us to have hearts willing to continue by faith to follow you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so now we come to the high point of our gathering, the communion table. And I was reminded out of this passage when Paul talks about being in chains, one of his references, I'm in chains for Christ. And it's almost like a, a participation with Christ in his sufferings. And this table reminds us of the suffering that Jesus uh, went through for each and every one of us. The bread represents his body, which was broken for you and for me. The cup represents his blood, which was shed for you and I, for forgiveness of sins, for a welcome into the family of God. And so as we come to the table, we're reminded of these things. And I want to just pause and give you a moment to silently reflect on the, the reality of this table, the extent of the suffering that Jesus went through for you and I. He laid down his life so that we could have life. Take a moment and reflect and give thanks for that. And so, Father, as we come to the table, we invite you to feed us today. Give us spiritual food for the spiritual lives that we live. Help us to know that our, our very strength, our very life flows from you. And we invite you to feed us at this table today, we pray. And so I would invite you to take the, the cup that you have been given and peel back that first layer if you haven't done so already. Uh, you should have a, a wafer in front of you. Just waiting till we're all ready. Sounds like we are. Okay. So friends, remember this uh, bread represents Jesus' body, which was broken for you and I. Let's take together and receive from him.
And then if you peel back the next layer for the cup, Friends, remember this cup represents Jesus' blood, which was shed for you and I. Let's take and receive from him today. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. In a moment, we'll have a word of benediction. And uh, before that, just uh, a reminder that our time here in this space uh, might be over, but there's time to stay and connect with one another. Maybe introduce yourself to somebody new and, uh, and spend a few minutes visiting together before you go. But as we go from here, let me just speak this word of benediction over us. May we go from here rejoicing in the risen Christ and his work in and through our lives regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. May you know his love, his kindness, his peace, and his presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.